Welcome to Super Aging Podcast. This podcast strives to promote healthy aging and amplify caregiver voices while raising awareness about dementia. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Fatou Sise. Today, I am speaking with Dr. Jan Kim. Dr. Kim is the owner and pharmacist in charge of Robinson Drug and Compounding Center and is an advocate for healthy living and alternative and functional medicine. His specialties include bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, women's health, Victor Bone illness, nutrition, and cannabis medicine. With potential FDA overreach in the area of compounded hormones, Dr. Kim is here to discuss today with us the role that compounded medicine can play in the lives of patients seeking to live a healthy life. So welcome to Super Aging Podcast, Dr. Kim. Fatou, thank you so much for your invite here. It's been an honor to speak to everyone in the audience. And uh, hopefully, you know, it's stuff that I'm sharing is going to really empower people to make the right choices in their health and uh, things that they do to improve their life. Absolutely. So thank you, too. And it's an honor to have you as well. So, Dr. Kim, before we get into your current venture, uh, we ask everybody this question. Yes. Now, what does super aging means to you? Super aging. I mean, that's a good question. Everybody has a different mindset of aging. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people believe that you know they just want to have a graceful aging just to you know settle down, retire, enjoy the rest of their life, and then take care of the grandchildren, and that's the that's the end of it. Right. But then there's a new wave of understanding, and as well mm-hmm. as lifestyle choices to prevent and to really improve their overall health outcome. Mm-hmm. So this way, in terms of the overall quality of life is improved, they're able to function better, they're able to move better, they're able to, you know, able to prevent a lot of the illnesses, mm-hmm. even before actually happening, and then really improving in that aspect of it. And really, there's something called the biohacking these days, where you're utilizing some of the nuances of science, as well as biology, mm-hmm. and as well as spirituality to improve their overall outcome. And as a result, you're not just, you know, you're, you're going to be aging in number, but in terms of the overall biological age is actually reversing. And so you end up having to really improve the overall mindset and health and overall quality of life of an individual. So that's what super aging is to into me. And that's what I like to promote with people as well, because it's no point of aging, you know, you're, you're 75, 85, and you're not able to do the you know, normal activity you used to do in your 30s and 40s, mm. why can't we improve those things so this way we could have the same quality of life that we used to have before, but better now? That's actually amazing. I'm glad that you mentioned the need or not just the need, but the desire, I should say, the desire to function optimally at certain age by incorporating science, biology, and spirituality putting those things together to improve your own health. I think, you know, the way that you put it for those three things to all function, to bring all of those into your health, to improve your health, I think that's really a a good point that you made there. Yeah, that's something that I end up having to really talk about a lot. Uh, I do have a, you know, Instagram account that I have available for people to get educated on my page. Mm-hmm. But also the, the main purpose of my role and my calling is to really empower people 
from the moment they realize that they have to make the change and not just be completely crippled about their overall health and their choices that they have to make, right? right. Those are the things that are not being really promoted. Mm-hmm. And matter of fact, it's actually making it worse these days that, you know, and not really talking about the healthy lifestyle, exercising, eating well, you know, sometimes pooping well. That's something that I actually really missed, missed that. Right. And as was managing your inflammation and how to prevent some of the chronic illnesses from actually happening, such as blood pressure, diabetes, weight gain, that is a completely a bigger epidemic than anything else, especially what's happening right now with, with the pandemic right now. Right. And as well as uh, me- measures to really get you moving and getting you through. And that's some of the things that I like to really promote with mm-hmm. my patients and as well as my followers. And hopefully this actually is an empowering message for people out there uh, who's listening to this podcast. Absolutely. Those are great messages to send out there. Those are great points. And I would love to get a better sense of your inspiration. What inspired you to pursue this career as a pharmacist? So, you know, I actually fell into pharmacy almost as a mistake. The reason being is I had no guidance in terms of what I wanted to do as a career, okay. uh, never alone what I wanted to major in college. So I went into college undecided. And then afterwards, luckily enough, I knew a connection to work for a, a compounding pharmacy. So compounding pharmacy is a pharmacy that does customized medication for patients. Mm-hmm. So they, they actually have a set lab and they're able to make some of the different uh, doses for them. So like such as capsules, okay. creams, gels, injectables, you name it. Mm-hmm. The pharmacist is able to make that. So that is an art of a pharmacist that used to be very, very prominent back in the day before the pharmaceutical companies were available. Okay. And this particular pharmacy that I was able to luckily was able to get invited to, to work there. I learned about this and this particular aspect of the pharmacy, I, I fell in love with. Mm. That's the main reason why I decided to go into pharmacy, not just become a pharmacist, but to be a compounding pharmacist and pursue that calling that I saw happening. So afterwards, um, after getting into pharmacy school, which I ended up having to transfer into, Mm-hmm. And going through four years of a doctor of pharmacy degree, okay. Middle of my uh, transition, going from a last year of externship and getting in my licensure, I soon noticed that there was a brokenness within the healthcare industry, especially in the hospitals and the and the medical field, that we're not really addressing the chronic illnesses of the patient. Mm-hmm. Nor are we looking at the root cause of the issue. Rather, we're just giving them medications. And it's becoming basically the hospital and the doctor's office are becoming a revolving door. Our patients coming in and out of the office and they're not really getting the attention they need to get. Right. So that's the main reason why I got into ways how to really look at this a different lens that mm-hmm. what can we do to make this different? So I found out that there's something called a functional medicine. So what functional medicine does is it's a different field of medicine. So it's really growing right now right. that really looking at the root cause of the disease mm. rather than really treating it and treating the symptoms and the conditions that they have. Right. So giving you, for example, Mm-hmm. If you talk about a diabetes, yes, you could give the medications such as metformin and some other drugs to really control their blood sugar. Mm-hmm. But what is the underlying condition that actually led to having a diabetes? 
Well, there's could be many things. There could be the fact that they're eating poorly. They're right. not, they have a very poor gut function. So your stomach really uh, details in terms of how you absorb food, how you process, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they're not sleeping well either. If you sleep less than six hours a day, that could affect your overall insulin resistance. Right. And if you end up having to have one that a bad sleep, that's not going to affect it. But let's just say if you had a multiple years of having sleeping issues, that's going to cause a biggest impact on the insulin resistance that you end up having to have. Mm-hmm. So basically having a pre-diabetes leading into all the metabolic issues. And on top of, this is the biggest lie that actually happens within the medical society is that fat is bad, right? Mm. But what happened is that the entire food industry had shifted into really fortifying food, not with vitamins, they had been fortifying food with sugar and other artificial sweeteners, result the fact that Americans in general are not getting healthier, they're getting worse, Mm -hmm. right? So that is the biggest thing that I end up having to see that there's an entire broken system of healthcare and that we're not really doing anything except for putting a bandaid on the symptom or the condition and the patients are not getting better. So that's the reason why I got into functional medicine. I decided to get into additional training and that's what I've been doing for the last 15 years in terms of treating the root cause of the issue, really addressing the problem heads on instead of giving actually a medication or pill and thinking that is going to be the end of it all. A matter of fact, it's actually the patients are getting worse when you give medications. The reason behind is that there's something called a drug-induced nutritional depletion. So medications can actually affect how your overall nutritional value is stored in the body, right? So give perfect example, again, that drug called metformin, which has been used for diabetes, Mm -hmm. metformin depletes magnesium, vitamin D, vitamin K, affects your overall um, gut bacteria. And gut bacteria is so vital to help you absorb nutrients, but also digest and also help to support your immune system. And then on top of the fact that you're lacking in zinc, and then you're also lacking in something called the coenzyme Q10, which is a vital nutrient they need to help to empower your heart muscle, protect you from any other potential damages, and is a great antioxidant. The issue behind is that the medication you think you're taking to help to fix one issue of diabetes is actually causing more problem, resulting in a heavier issue, causing additional conditions to occur. So what are we fixing? We haven't done anything except for putting a Band-Aid in, okay, and and literally putting a a damper on a condition. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of it all, the problem is bigger than anything else, right? So this is the things that is really a centerpiece of functional medicine to look at the root cause and really tackle that and help to empower patients, educate them, and look at their health conditions in a much better light rather than just taking, thinking about taking medicine. Well, thank, thank you for that in-depth um, explanation. Uh, if I understand correctly, when you mention how um, the medical or the healthcare system is using patients as like, it's more like a revolving door. They are coming in and they're getting these medications and that's causing some other new problems and sort of putting a bandaid on it. The problem is not going anywhere, but creating new other problems. Do you think the healthcare system is more like a profit-making system? That's why they want those patients back 
coming back all the time. What what are your thoughts around that? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good question. That's a good point to make. And especially what's happening right now with COVID-19, that mm. is something that a lot of people are actually questioning nowadays, right? Mm. Because COVID-19 really shed a light in two ways. One, it should shed the light in terms of how unhealthy Americans are. So if mm. you look at the overall mortality rate of COVID-19, America is the highest right now. The reason being is mm-hmm. Americans actually had the highest amount of obesity as well as chronic conditions that mm-hmm. have been a risk factor of having a worse COVID outcome. Right. And so there was a great article last summer, last summer actually, looked mm-hmm. at is America having COVID-19 issue or is America actually having obesity problem? And that's mm-hmm. the thing, right? So the American actually, uh, um, the America's condition with COVID-19 really shed a light in terms of the overall broken problematic areas of medicine. Mm-hmm. Right, we're not addressing it, and we're not addressing the fact that Americans are unhealthy, and we're not really promoting about the overall things to prevent their overall conditions. But the second thing that it also shed a light is in terms of the medical freedom, medical choices that the people could actually have, mm-hmm. and especially the time of emergency, you need to have better options for doctors to prescribe and utilize certain medications to help to treat conditions of COVID-19 early enough. So this way you prevent the patients from going into a hospital and then having to die there, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that everybody goes into a hospital, they die, but mm-hmm. yes, the condi- the reason that you go into a hospital is you already end up having to go through the severity of COVID. Mm-hmm. And so your overall outcome is going to be worse if you go into a hospital. But those are things that could be prevented by utilizing some of the therapeutics out there or maybe repurpose drugs to help to treat COVID-19 early enough so this way we don't have these type of things. But the thing is, the entirety of the discussion of early treatment or talking about preventative measures and or even healthy lifestyle has never been discussed at all. And matter of fact, if you do end up having to discuss it mm-hmm. on social media and the news, you're completely vilified and and you're ridiculed for that, for that view. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's that's been uh, cases where some of the naturopathic and alternative medicine doctors are ridiculed or, or they lose their licenses because of it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's there's a lot of problem right there. So, so some people could say, hey, that's that's a role of a big pharma getting involved and trying to silence people. That could be a possibility. Who knows? I mean, that, that's just conspiracy theory alone. But you need to look at, you know, what's happening right now and also look at where the money's going. Right. Where mm-hmm. the money's being spent. In terms of the overall prevention and and the therapeutic options for COVID has not been really looked into, except for the fact that the overall discussion with vaccine development, and and listen, I'm not an anti-vax, I'm vaccinated as well, but the overall discussion with vaccination has been the top priority instead of really looking at how do we prevent, how do we treat the patients early on so this way we could actually get these things rolled out. And that really shed a light in terms of how broken American healthcare system is because there's so much bureaucracy and there's those lobbying groups and insurance companies and everything else that goes on. And so you really haven't fixed anything. On top of that, there's been very bad, bad management of healthcare within the government as well, right? Mm -hmm. We're relying on the government to actually help treat us. You know, that's the probably the worst scenario you could actually have. You don't want someone to treat you. You want to treat yourself, and helping to fix those things. Your, the overall self-reliance of treating 
your solve has gone out the window. I don't know what, what happened. I don't know it's because of the fact that we're so brainwashed from the early on that we need to, you know, uh, rely on the, the higher authority. And, and that's what it comes out to. But the thing is, your overall, how you do in terms of health is based on your overall choice and what you do as a, as a lifestyle, how you move, what you mm-hmm. eat, how you take care of yourself, how much you sleep. Mm-hmm. And, and that overall self-care aspect of it has to be managed on your own. And I strongly believe that the doctor of the future is you, that you need to make the choices. And as well as to, you need to find out what you need to do to get yourself healthy. And that's really come into play in terms of anti-aging world and as well as super aging, if you want to call it. Right. That you want to, you want to get these things done. Self-responsibility has gone out the window for some reason. You know, you touch on very important key points here, um, self-responsibility and taking control of your own health. I think it's a big um, it's a big thing that people need to look into and, and take that responsibility as well. I do agree that there are certain there are certain times that people do all of that and end up um, having the, let's say cancer or diabetes or something. But um taking control, if only we know how much our own lifestyles impact our health. Just like you said, we will take control of our health by practicing all those good stuff that you just mentioned, including sleeping a good amount of time, like eight eight hours, like it's recommended, Um, which is, you know, you can literally not many people admits to having that um, enough hours of sleep. Um, so that that's an individual thing. But my other question to you, has it been challenging for you to incorporate alternative and or functional medicine within pharmaceutical industry? How has that been for you? Uh, it has not been very difficult. Okay. The reason being is you have to look in a different light that Alternative medicine and functional medicine is not supposed to replace pharmaceutical drugs or mm-hmm. regular conventional medicine, nor would conventional medicine end up having to be replacement for alternative medicine. Right. So I see as a complementary aspect that you have to combine the both worlds together Okay. to find the, the better balance, right? Mm. Just because you... So here's the thing right now. I mean, and this is something that I end up having to really cringe on sometimes People who are really into holistic lifestyle, that's great. I am as well. But you cannot discount the fact that modern medicine is able to also increase the overall life expendency at the same time, right? When you're having a heart attack, you're not going to be using essential oils or some other vitamins to help treat that condition. Good luck with that. Right? That's good luck with that one. So, (laughs) I mean, obviously, you you don't want to be in that point, but you cannot discount discount or at least neglect the advance of a medicine. Right. So why I mentioned mention that is you have to look at in the in both sides and try to find the right balance. Mm-hmm. I, I'm always about how do we enhance a person's therapy or a a treatment options that they have mm-hmm. by utilizing pharmaceuticals as well as nutrition. By all means, I want to pick nutrition and lifestyle and and other vitamin therapy and holistic practice as a primary goal to utilize to get the patients better. But if that's not really working, let's just say overall lifestyle, they have done change many ways, but is there certain things that we could potentially utilize to pharmaceuticals to help to improve that condition? 
Why not? Right? They're, they're there. That's the reason why you have resources there also. Right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a, I'm a born-again Christian, and I, I'm, I'm strongly believed that, you know, you have medicine, you have tools such as drugs mm-hmm. and nutrition to help benefit to really uh, get you better as well. And, and that's what God actually had given us uh, to utilize. And so you cannot be just uh, saying, hey, you know what? Conventional medicine is the way to do it. And, and then or are saying in a different way. So it has to be happy balance. And that's something that we promote at my pharmacy. pharmacy. And that's a lot of the benefits that my patients are getting. Wonderful. And you mentioned how COVID impacted the U.S. Um, more than it did with other places because of how is because of the health of the nation, if you will. Right. Um, because there's a lot of people who have chronic conditions. And we know that a lot of chronic conditions are also tied to people's gut health. Yes. So can you tell us what are some of the unexpected signs of gut issues? Oh, wow. That's a good question. So the first thing that we should really look at, if you're suffering from GERD issues, or let's just say you're having acid reflux, that's a simple <laughs> example that I could give you. Right. That is a underlying gut problem, right? Mm-hmm. You're not you're not born with acid reflux problem, right? Nor are you born with GERD. Mm. I mean, some people could say, oh, you know, there's some babies who, who are colicky, but how long is that colic going to last? I mean, that's the overall standpoint that you have to look at is that how have you acquired that condition in your gut to have you resorting into taking medication and doing so? So there are a couple of things that end up having to occur. One person might be overeating, result of the fact that their overall you know, gut function is, is not up to par. Maybe they are eating certain food that are sensitive to, as a result, you're not having the, enough stomach motility, mm-hmm. right? And as well as if you don't have the right amount of good gut bacteria that mm-hmm. also affects your digestion, your overall enzyme production, and everything. Mm-hmm. At the same time, stress can also affect how you're digesting your food mm-hmm. because if overall uh, stress can affect your neurotransmitters, how you are able to cope with certain anxiety and stress issues, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so there have been conditions where people who are highly stressed, they are losing their appetite or they have stomach issues and vice versa and, and, and et cetera, leading into worsening of the gut function and having uh, digestive issues, right? So mm-hmm. if you think about this, the gut function, the gut in itself is, is the start of a lot of the issue that we have, such as cardiovascular problem, potential issue dealing with autoimmune disorders, uh, pain is a big one, and as well as in dealing with some of the neurological conditions such as depression, anxiety issues, as I mentioned before, could be cancer, could Mm be thyroid conditions, everything. The reason being is overall, your, your body's health, especially the start of your immune system and how you train your immune system Mm-hmm. Not doesn't start with getting a vaccination. It actually starts with your gut function. Right. Right. When a baby's born, how is a baby able to improve the immune system and getting the necessary antibodies and the uh, the immune cells? Is through the mom's breast milk, mm. right? 
And that particular aspect that the breast milk transfers over the overall needed of IgG and IgM, which is a, a particular um, immune cells, able to program the gut to help to improve the gut function. And so there's been really well-studied documentation so far that increased intake of breastfeeding could end up having to result in lowering incidence of allergies and other conditions, especially asthma in kids, in developing kids. So overall aspect, if you think about asthma and uh, dealing with allergies, you never think about the gut function, No, but it's all related. It's wow. all related, right? It's how, what you eat is going to really improve that aspect of it. And if you are, let's just say, eating food that are completely inflammatory, such as increasing in a gluten, I'm not saying that all glutens are bad, but generally some people actually have severe gluten allergies. And mm-hmm. the way that we actually have a genetically modified gluten, it's not the same gluten that we used to eat 30, 40 years ago, it's actually genetically modified. And so the gut doesn't really recognize those glutens that well, resulting in allergies, and it actually causes a micro inflammation in the gut, mm. resulting in additional problem than anything else. So you have to look at the gut first before you're able to treat a lot of conditions, especially autoimmune disorder, pain, cardiovascular issues as right. well. You know, we think that eating fatty meals is a bad thing. That's not the case. In terms of the overall discussion about eating a fatty meal, mm-hmm. yeah, you need to have a moderate amount, but fat is not the biggest culprit. It's actually the sugar intake is the biggest culprit in terms of causing yeah. cardiovascular issues. Sugar is basically oxidizing fat to result in, it in having, you know, atherosclerotic plaque uh, forming and everything. So think about sugar as like a, a, a fire, basically, mm-hmm. or heat for that matter, and utilizing to caramelize or burn the fat literally. And that's where the hardening of the fat actually occurs. And that resulted in cardiovascular issues. But if you think about this, that overall, that fire is the micro inflammation that happens a lot more within the gut. And so there's a brand new science of integrative cardiology, where they look at looking at the condition of cardio, uh, cardiovascular issues, more dealing with the gut, and there are leaks, something, there's a condition called leaky gut syndrome, yeah. where yeah. your overall intestinal lining is actually, is, is not up to par, resulting in the fact that that leaky gut leading into microinflammation again, and that microinflammation leading into other down spiral issue mm-hmm. of immune system not working well, as well as there's a, a issue dealing with the fact that you're losing muscle. So there's a you know, case of sarcopenia and all, as well as mitochondrial defect and downward spiral issues in terms of increasing uh, cytokine cascade, et cetera, which is resulting in a cardiovascular issues to occur. And on top of, if you actually have a onset of inflammation mm-hmm. that burns through your overall magnesium and vitamin D and the nutri- nutrients that you actually have. And so it's a downward spiral. And you, if you, on, unless you look at the root cause, you're just going in circles and having to have additional problems than anything else. So if you're not getting anything out of me today, make sure you address your gut function first than anything else. And so you want to take a good set of probiotic, right? You want to eat a healthy meal and really depends on what you could afford. But uh, if you could eat organic food, 
nothing process. And this is what happens with, with elderly patients. Sometimes they have trouble affording it or not able to take care of themselves as well. Mm-hmm. Result in the fact that they just eat things that are frozen and then reheating it. And mm-hmm. there's no nutrients there. It's just artificial fake food that you eat. Right. Um, and that's causing more inflammation. And they're so chock full of chemicals. So it's not really right. benefiting you. And as well as if you look at the overall American diet right now, mm-hmm. Americans love anything that's fatty, there's anything salty, and there's anything sugary, right? Mm-hmm. So those are three things. I'm not saying that salt is bad either. Salt is actually, in certain ways, many cases, good for you. Mm-hmm. But if you end up having to add in all those things, they're not really promoting anything else except for chronic conditions that's going to rise up even more. And if you're adding an inflammation, inflammatory condi- condition, overweight, if you're completely sedentary on top of the fact that if you're not having proper bob movement, right? Mm-hmm. I, I kind of joking around that you yeah. know, you, we want to talk about your poop. Poop, poop problem is, poop <laughs> is the biggest thing. If you look at, if you look at a patients at nursing homes, how many of those nursing home patients actually have constipation problems, yes. right? That does didn't just occur all yeah. of a sudden is because there's an ongoing issue with gut. They're not eating well. They're not having enough fiber. Uh, and as was well a good set of gut bacteria to up to support the gut result in the fact that they have a lot more problem that they're seeing now. So again, overall diet um, and everything else all comes out into how your gut function is and how it's going to be and how that's actually promoting your overall health. You know, um, you mentioned a couple of things that I want to um, have a, a follow-up questions on those. One is the poop problem, and <laughs> the 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 elderly who have um, suffered from uh, constipation on a constant basis, who are having to use enemas to be able to ease themselves. What do you think the impact of using those instead of what you said is lack of fiber in their diets? Um, what do you think is the impact of? the use of animals to be able to go instead of maybe checking into what you're eating. Yeah. Can you uh, say something about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, using an enema or, or other laxatives to actually help to relieve yeah, I yourself. I mentioned enema, but other ones as well. Yeah, yeah. mycomagnesia could be one thing or magnesium citrate. Those are the top three things that you could end up having to use for people who are elderly and having a constipation problem. I'm not going to discount that that's a bad thing to use because mm-hmm. if you are suffering why not give you the relief so you could get going right. right and not having to have a proper bowel movement on a daily basis that's another issue of building up toxin in the body and not having a proper management of overall health so you know you you use whatever we can to relieve your relieve you mm-hmm. um and there are natural herbs that you could actually help to utilize these things to help to get that going. So such as Senna, S-C-N-N-A, you know, there's a Senna, um, Senna you could buy as over-the-counter as a pill, but that's a herbal, right? Mm-hmm. And as was increasing magnesium intake, that's another thing that you need to do. If you're, if you're low on magnesium, especially patients who are elderly, they are low on magnesium to begin with. So you need to supplement them with magnesium to actually help to get the bowel going. And the third point that happens a lot is elderly patients are very dehydrated. Yes. Right. They're not eat drinking well to begin with. And then they have a very uh, mismanagement of their electrolytes. So right. that overall affects your gut function and as well as how your bowel movement is going to be. Right. There's a reason why you actually are constipated. 
is because you probably are constipated because of lack of fluid in, in your overall system mm-hmm. and you need to drink water to get things going. But, you know, elderly patients, what I see is that, well, this actually happens a lot more in, in patients dealing with Alzheimer's disease or right. conditions like Parkinson's where mm-hmm. they completely forget to drink water. Forget to drink water, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so this happens a lot Absolutely. more. It's, it's a very sad, sad scenario. It is. But those are things that we need to address a lot more. Again, it comes all down to root cause of the issue. What is the root cause of the constipation? Well, it could be low, lack of magnesium. They're not drinking well. They're not eating well to begin with. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're constantly eating sugar-filled food, that overall affects your gut function. So you know that that's not good at all, uh, especially your gut bacteria. Mm-hmm. So you want to get that good set of probiotic or uh, bacteria going. Uh, and I'm not going to promote about eating yogurt every day because yogurt is chock full of sugar anyway to begin with. Mm-hmm. So if you get, if you could get a good set of probiotic, um, along with increasing fiber intake, um, as well as drinking plenty of water and adding that nutrients, especially the electrolytes, the magnesium is a big one that mm-hmm. you need to get yourself going. So that's the thing. And lastly, sometimes these constipation could be added on from the medications they're taking. Right, right. Right. So medication has to be reviewed a lot more and looking at it and try to see what can we do to manage the medication so this way the patient is not burdened from this type of thing. Mm-hmm. Excellent points. You also mentioned inflammation in this discussion quite a bit. And inflammation is tied to a lot of illnesses as well. It's a cause for a lot of illnesses. So can you tell us what are some ways to reduce inflammation? Right. So inflammation is the root cause of all diseases, Mm -hmm. such as diabetes, uh, cardiovascular issues. Right. So those we have to really look at inflammation as that is the root cause of all disease. So -hmm. how do we address root cause of inflammation? Well, you could do the painful way and then there's an easier way. And one of the things that I like to always mention about is what can we do to use the least amount of money to make the most impact, All right? The first thing you need to do is you need to sleep well. If you don't sleep well, that does not gonna work, right? Mm-hmm. I've had patients where they only sleep about three, four hours, and then they're wondering why they're so inflamed. And then, then, then they are not able to manage their diabetes that well. Right. Well, that's the thing. If you're sleeping less than six hours a day, your blood sugar level is completely screwed. Yeah. So sleeping is the most important thing that you need to do. That is going to reduce your inflammation. Secondly, you need to start moving. I'm not saying that you need to go run a uh, you know marathon or start to walk <laughs> and move around. You need to be uh, that in itself. And also by moving, what I mean is also utilizing some type of uh, weight-bearing exercises, mm. right? That in itself increase your muscle uh, activation, and that having to grow the growth of the muscle helps to decrease the inflammation as well by decreasing I mean, by increasing your insulin sensitivity uh, and the support of it. So exercise is the second that thing that could be free. Third thing that I would recommend doing is breathing. Right, mm-hmm. a lot of these patients have trouble breathing, especially patients who have trouble wearing a mask these days. Mm-hmm. They already had a underlying breathing problem to begin with, right? So what happens with a lot of Americans is that we start breathing with our mouth. We need to breathe through our nose, right? Mm-hmm. And, and exhaling through our nose. So that aspect of it 
is one of the things that we need to really manage, right? That breathing exercise and, and knowing how to breathe properly also manages your stress intake as well, right? Interesting, yeah. So those are things that you could definitely do. And as well as, um, you know, you need to have a proper management of um, things like, you know, how, how, you, how you're waking up. And once you wake up, you want to get the, the most sunlight possible, right? So if you could open up your windows up as quick as you can to get the natural light in and that natural light hitting your eye, eyes, that mm-hmm. also affects how your metabolism is going to be, right? Yeah. So what's happening right now in the United States, especially last year, is that the overall obesity rate has had increased, especially in kids. What happened? Mm-hmm. Well, there's their scared, scared uh they're scared to death, right? Because of the virus. Right. They're staying home. They're not really moving around, right? And they're completely stressed. Yeah. And at the same time, stress probably is leading into having poor sleep management. And mm-hmm. some of these people are working from home. And people, people. working, more people are. A lot of people. And yeah. A lot of people are. And working from home has not make any, made anything easier. Actually, mm-hmm. in certain cases, made the workers' burden even greater. Because now they have no excuse but to be in front of the computer and working even more. Yes. Right. So that's an added issue with stress and and uh, all the conditions that they have. Right. So that is the biggest impact that I could see right now that's happening, and that's basically the overall start of the inflammation. And then and then you actually have, you know, things that you could do to improve your inflammation is by um, e- eating what you're eating. Right. Mm. If you're constantly eating McDonald's or, or Chick-fil-A and some of the fast food, that's not going to really help you, except for the fact that you're just basically loading your body with chemicals and artificial ingredients yeah. and, and a high in omega-6. Omega-6 is coming from nut oil and things of that nature that actually causes pro-inflammation. And so that's going to cause more, more issues. Mm. So you need to really look at what you're eating how you're eating, what kind of food you're eating as well is the biggest importance. So try to find the, the most cleanest produce possible. If you can afford to buy organic food, great. If not, that's fine too. But cleanest thing that you could do is the thing that you could do. And manage what you're eating is the biggest thing. Like if you could meal plan, great. That's a great way to start. And then you have all the things like fish oil, vitamin mm-hmm. D, magnesium, right? Good set of multivitamin. If you could use CBD, CBD is something called cannabidiol, comes from hemp. That's okay. a very much of a anti-inflammatory agent to actually help to deal with that. Okay. Um, so that's a great thing. And as well as you know, you could do is to if you have if you have trouble dealing with stress management in certain mm-hmm. cases, you may have to work with a therapist. It's not a right. bad thing. Ther- working with a therapist is not a bad thing at all. You know, yeah. Managing stress level and how to get getting your body back to normal is the most beneficial part in terms of decreasing overall inflammation that you have. And another thing is like, you know, being with people around you, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, people to people connection that in itself is also anti-inflammatory because your stress level goes down, your lower yeah. hormones is connecting. So again, there's a mixture array of, you know, spiritual and then you have a physical realm of it. And then you have yeah. emotional side that you have to connect yourself to get yourself better. And, you know, a lot of things I mentioned just now is nothing expensive, right? Nothing Mm -hmm. really expensive. 
it's, 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 everything that you could do within your ability. Ability, yes. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. again, it's the, the overall excuse that we have right now that Americans are not able to do it because of COVID. Yeah, that's not that's not right either. You could you could definitely make those changes now mm-hmm. than anything else. And you know, instead of being so scared about COVID and potentially dying mm-hmm. from it, why don't we reduce those risks by doing the self care aspect that we need? by the th- doing the things that I just mentioned before. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that information. If our listeners um, if our listeners are interested in seeking the care of pharmacists who works as a, uh, at a compounding pharmacy, just like you, are this type of pharmacies available everywhere or are they in some areas and not in other areas? Right. So the so compounding pharmacists do not do everything that I'm actually doing within my scope of uh, ability that I have in a pharmacy because I end up having to take additional training afterwards. Mm-hmm. But you you should seek out a compounding pharmacist if, when you are looking to get customized medication for your needs, such as hormone replacement therapy. Is maybe patients who are in a geriatric stage they cannot swallow certain pills. Uh, we have the abilities to make into transdermal gel. So this way you're able to get medication absorbed through your skin on top of, you know, especially children in a pediatric world, you want to have a, you know, a flexibility to use different doses forms like liquid suspensions or uh, suppositories or some other agents to help deliver medication to the kid. Mm-hmm. Those are the flexibility that you actually can achieve through a compounding pharmacy. And it's a great thing. But in terms of the overall things that I end up having to mention about lifestyle changes and things like that, when you are working with any pharmacist, you want to find out if they are trained to do functional medicine and alternative care. And many don't do that, especially when you go to chain stores and chain pharmacies, such as, you know, I'm not going to mention any names, but they're not going to really do that for you. You need to really seek out a specialist that does that. And uh, that's something that I do. And I do have a network of other pharmacists that are part of doing this. Can you also give us an overview of like, oh, maybe a difference between the traditional pharmacist and a compounding pharmacy? Right. So traditional pharmacists are very diverse in terms of the overall career choices. There, there are a lot of people that could end up, a lot of pharmacists end up going to hospitals, industries, or the pharmaceutical companies. They may go into research. They may end up working in the government, such as the FDA. And then there's a more the traditional route where pharmacists traditionally been working in a retail sector. Mm-hmm. They graduate from a pharmacy school. They end up having to work in a pharmacy. They, it, it was just recently that the non-traditional pharmacy route has been widely available. And that's where the pharmaceutical companies end up having to really took advantage of the you know, doctor pharmacies going into their um, industry and helping them out. Okay. So traditionally wise, traditional pharmacy wise, it's just basically dispensing, dispensing medications, mm-hmm. right? If you go to uh, CVS or Walgreens or any of the chain pharmacies, those are traditional. Mm-hmm. Even independent pharmacies, like the pharmacies that I, I, I own, it is a retail pharmacy. Mm-hmm. But within the retail pharmacy, there is different niche specialties that could occur. Okay. Some pharmacies would end up having to do a lot more Durable medical equipment, so such as canes or uh, stockings and and etc. There's some pharmacies that do a lot of these um, other niche practices like 
breast pump, right? So, you know, moms who are breastfeeding, they may need a breast pump. So pharmacies end up having to sell those. They, some, okay. I know pharmacy that does really well with that. Mm-hmm. And then there are pharmacies that does, you know, the holistic aspect that I do, right? Mm-hmm. So nutrition, consultation of that nature. And then there are pharmacies that do compounding where you customize medication to the patient's needs. And that's what I combined with the, with the nutritional aspect of holistic functional medicine, because it actually marries the alternative side of compounding versus alternative medicine together so well. Okay. And so that's where I end up having to get into. So it really depends on where you live, you know, what's available around you, you know, on a rare case, they're going to be asking for a compounding pharmacist to begin with, but you just have to find the right pharmacist and work with them, right? You, you have to make the, make the right decisions, such as uh, finding a doctor. You need to find the right pharmacist That's right? who's the- going to be, who's going to be there and who's going to take care of you. Yeah. And can you get all type of prescription medications from a compounding pharmacy? Well, compounding pharmacy, again, is very specialized in terms of utilizing different ways to get the ease of taking medications for patients, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, some of them are possible, some of them are not, but really depends on the patient's needs. So it's very hard to answer that. But you end up having to seek out a compounding pharmacist where when you are trying to get a different ways of managing your care rather than just going to a compounding pharmacy to get your regular medications because a lot of compounding pharmacies are not able to do that. So those are the key differences. Right. What are some of the misconceptions around compounding pharmacy? So misconception of compounding pharmacy, good question, is that, that we are not regulated and that okay. we are working as a rogue within the industry of pharmacy. And that a lot of times is misunderstanding of what the scope of our practice is, right? We are only operating based on doctor's prescriptions. We're not going to just ask a you know regular person walking to a pharmacy to order certain things because they want to. Mm. And that, that's sort of the three main things that I end up having to see as a misunderstanding within the pharmacy and especially mm-hmm. compounding pharmacies. And as well as what the scope of uh, you know ability that we actually have to help treat patients. So uh, we have so many other options these days, just, not just capsules or creams or ointments, but we have other ways to really get the medication to the patient's in a right way that could be all customized for their needs. So those are the things that I would like to really share with the patients there, that compounding in itself is customizing medication for patients' needs, right? So a good example, another good example is, let's just say you are allergic to certain dyes or fillers of a medication. Mm -hmm. Well, we could work in a different ways and getting a raw chemical of that particular medication to to get the medication made. So this way you are able to tolerate the medication without going through a anaphylactic or allergic reaction. Right, right. Okay. Thank you so much for tuning into Super Agent Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this all. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out by leaving us a comment or email us at info at superagentpodcast.com or connect with us on social media sites. And if you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe and review the show. Until next time, remember that self-care is self-love. Take good care.